There's no use in TV shows, radio, rodeo. Wanna get into the crowd and I wanna hear it play real loud. Welcome to the AP Podcast. This is your host, Mike Shea. In the introduction to the Vans Warped book, author Heidi Sigmund Kuda writes, I was loitering backstage at the Palace in Hollywood, waiting around for Bouncing Souls bassist Brian Keelan, when I noticed all the punks were standing up a little bit straighter. I thought to myself, Kevin Lyman must be in the house. If there's been anyone in the concert promotion business, much less the music business as a whole, who has proven that punk rock music is alive and well, and, well, profitable, it's been Kevin Lyman, though obviously no punk rocker would ever admit to making a profit. As a community, punk rockers by nature react against structure, but whether they've liked it or not sometimes, Kevin Lyman has brought just that, a structure, to taking a previously shunned music genre by Madison Avenue and turning it into a successful touring plan focused on low ticket prices for a high entertainment experience, and capping it all with a locked-in summer audience of over 600,000 teenagers nationwide and in Canada. As the producer and creator of the highly successful Vans Warped Tour, Kevin Lyman has given many hundreds, if not thousands, of punk bands either their 15 minutes of fame or a one-way ticket to stardom by including them on what is often referred to as an annual punk rock summer camp. Now in its 13th year, the Vans Warped Tour is considered the longest-running music and extreme sports festival in the world. So it can be said that many bands owe their careers to Kevin Lyman, and it's because of this that Kevin Lyman has earned a high respect from the punk community that few businessmen could ever hope to achieve. As founder of his own entertainment and marketing company, Forfini Inc., he has also created a number of other successful and groundbreaking tours, including the Watcha Tour, showcasing international Latin rock artists, the Down From The Mount and Great High Mountain Tours, featuring music inspired from the film Oh Brother Where Are Thou, the Sprite Liquid Mix Tour, and many regional concert events throughout the country. In 2005, he and John Reese, manager of The Used, came together to launch the Rockstar Taste of Chaos Tour, which has been described as a scaled-down but just as loud winter warp tour. The tour is currently on the road featuring 30 Seconds to Mars, The Used, Chiodos, Census Fail, Seosin, Aiden, and Eveline. Taste of Chaos has already branched out into international versions, playing in over 13 countries to date. He is part owner of the successful indie record label Side One Dummy Records, whose diverse roster includes Flogging Molly, The Casualties, Gypsy Punk's Gogo Bodello, and Big D in the Kids Table. On top of all of this, he then went and started his own record company, Warcon Records, which currently showcases Japanese noise punk band During Grey, My American Heart, Bleed the Dream, and seminal punk band Helmet. Kevin Lyman, who still lives relatively near his original stomping grounds of Claremont, California with his wife Frances and their two daughters Sierra and Sabrine, is now considered a go-to guy for corporate branding projects, usually hired as a consultant, a production supervisor, or overall branding guru to help companies maintain street-level credibility when marketing their products to today's youth. He has advised on projects as diverse from one-off radio station events to motion picture soundtracks. He also lectures at universities and high schools across the nation on the ins and outs of today's music business. Finally, if this all wasn't enough, he has started Unite the United, a nonprofit foundation where portions of ticket sales, auctions, and other music-related events and projects are donated to a variety of charities nationwide. It can be found at UniteTheUnited.com. This year, the Vans Warped Tour was honored with a special exhibit in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and Museum. This is currently on display through September of this year. We began this interview by discussing Kevin's roots in the music industry and his beginnings within the historical punk rock community of mid-80s Southern California. I want to talk a little bit about um, your beginnings. And um, uh, just because I don't think a lot of people really realize not only 
uh, where you're from and, and your background, as much as the extensiveness of your concert and your music industry uh, knowledge. Um, you just didn't start with Warp Tour. Yeah, that's, that, that's always been an interesting thing in my life. It's like now that kids think, and I'm like, look, there was a lot that went into why the, the Warp Tour got to, to go in, in the first place. Um, I'd worked 12 years in the clubs of Los Angeles, uh, doing everything, you know, mostly unloading vans, uh, bringing gear in, throwing kids off stage all night, setting up dressing rooms. Uh, so it started, so you built a foundation. And um, I think that's the interesting thing that a lot of people, it's not an overnight, there's very few overnight successes in this business. The people that have been able, there's overnight success, but then there's overnight failure. You know, people sometimes, if you rise so quickly, you disappear so quickly. Um, it's building that foundation. And it was uh, 12 years of working my way up and then getting that chance um, of timing, basically, in the, in the scene when I was working with bands, because I worked with a lot of bands no one wanted to work with. And those bands started out as the punk bands, and then they turned into bands like the Chili Peppers and Jane's Addiction and Stone Temple Pilots. And then there was in a timing thing where in 1991, when Lollapalooza started, they came to me because I knew these bands, and a lot of these bands were like, Stone Temple Pilots were like, we want you to work with us. And I go, why? And they said, because you gave us a pizza once when we were the opening band at the Whiskey, <laughs> which I couldn't remember. They were hungry kids, and I gave them a pizza. And, and those little things you know, built that up, and I got that chance on Lollapalooza because the bands wanted me to be part of that tour. And that was really my first real touring experience. Well, I'd like to go back a little bit before Lollapalooza because I, I do want to talk briefly about Lollapalooza yeah. at, um, in, in a little bit. Um, but I want to go back to your, your – your, just so people know, you're, out of, you're from Claremont. Yeah, California is where you grew up, and um, in your in the book, the Warp Tour book, yeah. um, which is just filled with great anecdotes in there, um, it said that uh, you were working at the Tasty Bagel on a midnight shift, which is about the time when you really started getting into music and really kind of discovering the underground music scene of L.A. Exactly. Yeah, it was. Um, Claremont is about an hour outside of Los Angeles, an hour east, and there was a pretty growing music scene in Los Angeles, and uh, I worked at. Tasty bagel, and uh, we'd go out all night, and you know, pretty much be partying and having a good time, and have to come and make bagels all night, and climb in that bagel oven, and we'd ride around on the carousel. It was while it was warming, <laughs> and uh, there were some guys in there that were listening to music, and they kind of turned me on to the, the what was going on with like the you know in L.A. the Plimsolls and early Go Go's and and things that were going on there, and uh, I started going into town, and that's where I kind of started meeting people. And this was all prior to their MTV exposure. I mean, this Absolutely, yeah. This was babies. <clears throat> they were they were the opening acts on Thursday nights. They were they were those bands, and uh, and then I started getting my chance while I was in school. And that's what I tell kids a lot. I, I'm speaking at a lot of colleges and and things now. Right. I talk, and I talk to kids that get involved early, and um, I mean, I'd bring bands out and. Uh, They'd play at my ski club parties. There was no fraternities, really, but there was a few fraternities, and we'd go rent the fraternity houses, and we'd do these uh, five bands, five bucks, all the beer you can drink, and when the beer ran out, we'd be bailing out the back door. <laughs> yeah. and, but that was right where I'd meet bands like uh, Fishbone, Fishbone, and uh, pay them $100 to come out and play, and just like their career, they'd come out and play for me, and they'd leave $100, like I'd pay them $100 to play, and they'd leave $200 of equipment and Chris behind. Like the band would leave someone that would end up sleeping at my house with for, for four or five days and I'd figure out how to get them back to L.A. or a, a guitar amp. Um, kind of like that story of that band's career. You know, they, mm -hmm. they grab a lot of chances in their lives and a lot of things. And, and uh, one of the best bands, probably one of the best bands in the L.A. scene, Fishbone. And they're still around, but it's really almost right. like a tragic story of how 
mismanagement and maybe misguiding your career, you know, that band is, it's, 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 it's one of those tough stories, one of the most talented bands. But Well, uh, it was right after, it was right about that time you started uh, Kevin Lyman Production Services. That was like yeah. when you went out on your own, you, you had the Golden Voice era where you, you started working with yeah, them. Yeah, well, brought- well, Golden Voice was interesting because it was like the biggest front for marijuana distribution on the <laughs> West Coast that I kind of... Kind the, of, and the feds didn't know it. Right? Yeah, the feds didn't know it. And, you know, it's all cleared up now because <laughs> Gary's went to jail for a long time. But I always kind of knew in the back of my mind because I was, a, so I, that's where I started Kevin Lyman Production Services. So Kevin Lyman Production Services, I learned business. Um, you'd be handed a bunch of cash and you'd be like, okay. And, but Welcome I knew, to Iraq, right? I knew that, yeah, <laughs> I knew that it was kind of like, well, maybe I should start paying some tax, you know, I should, so I had a legitimate business. I started a company called the Kevin Lyman Production Services and I started actually paying taxes on this money. So when the whole thing collapsed with Gary, because I was, I was not really working for, you were like an independent contractor. I was an independent contractor with those right. guys. Okay. And I pay enough taxes and the feds came in and when they busted this whole company, they came and looked at my books for a day and they said wow you, you're the only guy that actually paid like it was cool so all right we have no problems with <laughs> there's you. a lesson right there yeah that's that's what i'm saying you know and, and it happens to a lot of people and i think bands when they're starting out and everyone that we're i think we're talking a little bit about is you know start getting your business together early because right. so many of my friends had sound companies and things and they didn't get it together and things and then they eventually got you know, it, they almost, they went out of business or had real trouble because they had to go back. So start your business early and you'll probably, you know, it was, it was crazy. Yeah. Those were crazy times, but, uh, golden voice, it was like this turning point one time where it was, uh, uh, Gary started, Gary got busted like three times in a month and back and forth. And we were doing seven Jane's addiction shows and six Ramon shows. And that's where, uh, I, finally carried the company on my production service of all the sound and lights and stuff, just kind of while we figured this out. And that's where Paul Tolette, and that's interesting with Paul. We went to school at Cal Poly Pomona together. Mm. And we went, both went to college. And uh, he ended up taking over Golden Voice, which is now the company that, you know, that, that does The very Coachella. successful company, right? right. Very right. successful company and, and, and sold to uh, AG. So uh, those, were, those were different times. You talk, a lot, in the, you talk a, uh, a lot about the discipline you learned during that time period in business. Um, and a lot of bands don't have that, unfortunately. When they're starting out, they're, they're, they get kind of t- pulled in many different directions. And there is a, you talk about how that you were always hustling. And uh, that you were always like trying to get work going, and and uh, you know uh, while the rest of the guys, you know, I had a bunch of people living in one house, your your team, and you were you know in the backyard, uh, you know, sitting there walking around and trying to get uh, get jobs for your yeah. guys and get jobs for yourself. That's the only way we got our rent paid. Like I, my name was on the lease, and I'd have to go, I'd hustle work while they were skating or or playing music. Uh, like some of the guys were musicians, and um, I'd have to pay the rent each month so i'd go find work uh it was interesting but that work ethic i mean i, I still think i have that discipline of work ethic i work everyone goes oh what do you do during you know, the year and i go I pretty much work mm. um you know you can usually find me sometimes two three in the morning working still uh but we i worked one year 326 shows and it was an interesting time because of LA. Um, I didn't live in Hollywood. I lived about, a, I still lived out in the Claremont area. And I think that discipline for me was, I could have probably got really sucked into the drugs. Probably could have really got sucked into that whole scene because it was pretty heavy at that point. Um, I mean, it was interesting times going into the dressing rooms and telling bands, uh, you know, get the needle out of your arm, you gotta be on stage. That was one thing, an ironic thing with TSOL once. It was like, wow. But those kind of poignant moments, but I would get in my car every night and drive that hour, probably saved my life because I knew I had to get home some way at night and sleep for an hour or two in a, in a different environment 
and then come back to LA. One year I worked 326 shows, uh, each and every day. But that's where I built that that kind of like reputation as a guy that just was was working all the time. I mean, I'd go home, but that was like like my routine, because I think that's one thing. You know, it was interesting. Right now, I'm seeing a cycle in music again, where I'm seeing kids doing those drugs that ruined a lot of people's careers in the 80s. Um, it's interesting with like cocaine use now. I'm seeing bands doing cocaine. It's glamorized again. again. It's glamorized that it's that, that the drug thing's kind of cool. And I really don't know many bands that have gone on, that have long careers that have gotten too sucked into that. Or people in the business, like a lot of kids contact me about working in the business. How do they resist it though? How, I mean, from your experience, all these years in this business, and you, you've seen what the what drugs and alcohol abuse and so forth, and, and, and you know, unfortunately, so much of it is, you know, there's there's that DNA aspect to it, um, that right. it's kind of hardwired, and just a matter of time before it's going to come out, and if you're in the wrong circumstances. Other times, it's uh, psychological, um, insecurities, and so forth. I mean, how does a band deal with that? Is it kind of like what you did, which I is think it's, I think stay, it's like, you know, dry, you know, live an hour outside of it? or I think it's that know? balance, too, because, you know, it's like I, I drink, you know, and sometimes drink, you know, but I, it's, it's, it's also knowing that the day you can't get up and get what you get done, need to get done each day, um, you know, and that's, and that's, that's, a, that's what I, you know, look at, and maybe that's the way I check it, like, okay, I would drink, like, I had drinks last night, we had, <laughs> we were all bowling over that, down, and, uh, you know, but you have to get up and get what you need done. Um, it is hard to resist, I, I, and I don't think, I think it's almost like what you see now, I think a lot of bands, and I'm seeing like with the, with the, the, the Christian movement in music a lot, um, those kids are torn a lot. Um, I think you almost have to experiment a little bit and see what it does to you. I mean, a lot people, of those tooth and nail. When, I, and stuff, when yeah. I was on Lollapalooza, it was like crazy because it was a big cocaine tour. There was a lot of cocaine out on that tour, mm. and uh, and I was like, I don't do cocaine. I don't do drugs, and I, because I had tried them and they're really bad for me, and bad for people that are around me. Um, mm. And one night they were like, you know, this band, this, this tour bus was going through an eight ball mm. a day on this tour and they were kind of I was that guy out because I didn't do it and one night I said okay I'll do drugs with you guys yeah let's let's see you don't want me to do drugs I don't want to do drugs but I'm going to do them just to show you why you don't want me to do drugs <laughs> and uh, we had a long drive from uh, we had a long drive and and pretty soon I was knocking the vents out of the top of the tour bus and trying to climb out to surf the bus down down the down the highway and eventually they duct taped me my hands and feet together and hogtied me and put me in the back of the bus and just gave me some water for about this long, it was like an 18 hour drive, 20 hour drive, and, and uh, no one ever asked me to do drugs again. So you have to know that, that balance in your life and then and no one ever asked me again on that tour. Yeah, you, uh, say, you say in the book actually about the Swatch Impact Tour and with Tony Hawk and Gator and all that, and you, you, yeah. make, this, you make a statement saying you have to know your limitations at certain points in your life. Yes, and so it's, it sounds like, you know, it's... Uh, That's, that is, and you know, and it's interesting as you're, as you're you know, knowing those limitations. And I didn't expect to be doing this now 25 years. Um, so like, I, I think those things you have to keep, you keep adjusting them in your life. And, uh, and that's what I'm seeing. And maybe it's being second, like seeing the next generation of bands and going, watching some of these guys. And there's a lot of guys that are very, very talented, but it's being that balance. And you were involved with all Lollapuzza right off the bat. I mean, yeah. right, right, right off the bat. And you said after the 91 tour, which is like the, the first one that, that came out of there, it says everyone came out of that tour pretty high in themselves, kind of full of it. I tell people when you do something successful like that, it's just an opening, a crack in the door. You have to put your foot in and keep going. 
don't expect people to swing that door wide open for you. You're only as good as the last thing you did, which is very entertainment industry. Uh, it's, that's pretty much the philosophy of the entertainment right. industry. Um, do, do you, why do you think people get into the music industry? Hopefully because they love music. I think hopefully, ultimately, hopefully, hopefully you do, do italicized and bold. Yeah, you, you get in this to, because I think it's your ultimate love of music. Um, and it's hard because it's music. Music is what you got into. I love live shows. I think people know that. Um, I'm not a guy that can sit in the studio and listen to bands record. I'm like, get out there. And I love to see faces. I love to see people. Um, that's what I feed off of. That's what makes me want to do this. Um, but it, and the, last, the next word's business. So it's music business. So it's learning your business as you're going in. And, and it is, it, I hope you get in this because you love music. Um, and, and I think we're in a point in changing time where so many people have access to so much music. Uh, the business is changing daily um, and it's being able to adjust to that. And um, we're, it's, an, it's an amazing time. There's probably more people playing music now. Um, it's interesting, uh, when we do our battle of the bands for, for our tours, there's 15,000 bands signing up. Um, I think, but what I'm, my, my new crew, my new adjustment, that's me constantly adjusting. Uh, last week I was at the NAM show, um, talking to manufacturers and retailers that you're kind of in the peak of like how the skateboard industry that I early saw where the skateboard industry would go skyrocket and then crash, skyrocket and crash. And then eventually skateboarding became more accepted by a lifestyle and they're still like the hardcore skate but now right. it's kind of a plat it's like stays up and downs it's going up and down people vert skate people you know mini ramp street skate but we've now reached it where it's an accepted life and, and that's where music's got to go because i'm seeing fifteen thousand bands and they're all coming at me and all day long getting submissions to to the the tours i do um that every band's a touring band every band thinks that but we have to try to instill that music's fun music you love music you can also play music and and build and do it for the rest of your life um because all these bands are so they have no patience no one has any patience that's a, but that's society now it's the world we live in yeah and, and it's probably going to get worse they could say that that, that entitlement <laughs> generation i just think it's an entitlement society where everyone wants everything so quickly they're not willing to put in the work and i'm telling people you know i work 12 years and that goes back to early on. There was guys who worked for me on the first couple tours that we did. And they would probably be very, very part of my, but they got so like, they got in such a rush. They got a chance to work with me. I'd put in the 12 years in the club. Then as I started building, they worked one year, two years, and all of a sudden thought they were tour producers and, you know, they could go do anything. Right. And kind of like, didn't we're, patience is one of the biggest things and I'm trying to instill in bands that being you know it's funny when a band comes up to me and goes we've been a band for six months we've never got to play your tour and I'm like well no here's six, our demo wait six <laughs> months we come around every year it would make sense to me that you probably didn't get a chance um, you know and that's I think what we're trying to do is uh, try to I'm trying this year this is my big year where I'm like you know, we're really thinking through this process that, you know, trying to make what I've done maybe a little special again. Because I remember when bands would play on the Warp Tour and it was like big deal for them, like to get a chance to play. Mm -hmm. And now everyone's coming out and thing, and it's almost like they're entitled. You know, that, but you said, you said something really, really important, which is um, about um, how you adapt yourself. And, uh, and I think there's something to be, to, there's, there's, a, there's something to be asked about um, 
reinventing oneself and changing one's life course and career. And uh, a lot of times people kind of get stuck in that rut where they're like, yeah, I think I should. I think I should. Maybe someday I should. And they never get to that point where they're like, they're totally confident in themselves. Like, yeah, I have to do this. And so for you, when you all of a sudden have to kind of turn around and say, okay, I got to reinvent this tour. I got to do this. I need to go change this. How do you know within yourself, like, this is it. Is it just doing the research? Well, it's, it's, it's research, but it's also not being scared. I mean, I always have, you know, if you're going to be an entrepreneur or someone, you have to be willing to saw the branch off behind you and see if you spring roots before you hit the ground. That's something I kind of, and that's what we kind of do. Um, that's my philosophy. Just go do it. You're not going to get, if we make a mistake, if you do something, you know, just, you have to have that kind of confidence um, that you're willing to, to fail. And that life's not over. You're not going to die. You're not going to die. You're not going to do that. And really, what we're not brain surgeons in this. We're not saving the world in music. I mean, we try to do some things better now. That's what I'm. I'm changing what I'm doing with a little bit more with like the foundation and and raising money and trying to give back and educating and spending time that way. But I'm not. You know, that's what I. While I'm here, because while I'm in this position, I've gotten to this point that now I'm trying to diversify into doing something better that way. But I'm not really worried about failing. Because I booked the wrong band on the right two, but I'm also like I'm also scrambling, you know. I mean, it's it's interesting. We're here for the uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Mm -hmm. uh, Vans Warped Tour is being recognized tonight, and uh, it was like everyone's like, all right. And I'm going, well, I got to keep going. I got to stay ahead. Don't mm -hmm. rest on the laurels. And it goes back to that whole thing, like when you said you, it's your foot in the door. Um, we came back from Lollapalooza, and the day I got home, I went and did like a Sepultura Napalm Death, and I've been no fan of death metal. It's like those kind of things like make me like because I don't know the positive what came out of that music and I'd go work that show because if that music would depress me. It was weird when I do those shows that your body would ache. I'd be walking out of there just because that music was just so like aggro. But I went and did that just to remind me what I that's where I'm at and I've got to get back into doing that where some people stopped taking they they thought they were too good for that job. Um, hey, I don't want to go unload trucks, but I still do sometimes. I don't want to load, but I still want to keep those skills up. Um, never be embarrassed to never uh, be embarrassed to, uh, to just to go, go do into something. the garbage. Yeah. And I think that's you know I think that it goes with me with like the people that work for me on tours and things like that. Um, yeah, I ride in my own tour bus now. I have a little bit. I've made my life a little bit more comfortable to do things. Um, I have my friends that come in because I'm not really. A, I've also learned how to separate myself. I used to be a peer. I'm here with my peers, mm. Pennywise, Bad Religion, Bouncing Souls. Those I, few people I would still call my peers in this business. But I've also realized that I'm not hanging out and jumping, riding bikes around backstage and jumping over trash cans and all the stupid, all the things I was doing a few years ago. But I'm all, I'm, and I've also realized now, now I'm either a mentor or a disciplinarian in the business. It's adjusting my life. So Which I'm either a mentor to people or a disciplinarian now when I'm on my tours. I'm not a, so much a peer anymore to a lot of people. You know, that it's, and that's something about it. I think, you know, I've had friends of mine that were, you know, in a very simplistic form, not, nothing compared to what you're going through, but, you know, they've, they've been a, a waiter with their friends in a, in a particular restaurant, and then all of a sudden they get promoted to assistant manager, and the relationships change with everybody, all the other waiters, and no longer they're being asked to go out and hang out anymore because now you're the boss. And I mentioned it's like for you, you know, for like early on in the years, especially you were part of that whole crowd. And then all of a sudden you're right. You, you kind of have to become the disciplinarian. Somebody's got to be the guy that comes in and says no. And you can't have all that water on the bus. And no, you can't take all that. And, and it's got to be tough I mean, at times for you. 
Um, or it's been tough. It, it's been tough, but it's also it's evolving. And, and if you want to stay, rel- you know, stay what you're doing, um, I don't have a problem with that right now. Hmm. Um, you know, I built my kind of my own world. Like when I travel now, there's a lot of people that come out and spend a few days, and they all you know and come in and out and. I have that system that that's great, and I'm allowed to do what I do, and if I can stay focused on it, because I love. I mean, it's strange to say like, it's changed. I, if I had to go on the road now, and I tell people the first day you go go on the road is the day you have to start thinking about how to get off the road. Um, I went reverse. I worked in the clubs every night. I was making less money than everyone. I was working in the clubs, but I made a living because I worked every night of the week, and and you did that, and then. All my friends would go out with bands and they would start touring. And, and I looked at that as like, and then I would see the older crew guys coming through the road. And because I worked every night with every crew coming through, I knew every production manager, stage manager, and you would see this balance. You see the young guy that's really happy. Go on the road when you're young mm-hmm. and enjoy it. But then start to think how you don't have to go on the road. Because what's happened now, and, it's, and I'm seeing it now that, you know, I'm, I'm 45 and, and there's people that start out with me that are still on the road at 40, 45 because the money got so good for them, they never knew how to go back and try to build some sort of foundation off the road. Well, it's a very nomadic experience. It is, and it's awesome when you're, you, when you're young and you're out there on the road, it's, it's great. There's no better thing to do than be a gypsy in my life. I mean, I still have it in my blood, still, you know, I, I love, but I'm in a different setting now. I mean, being a producer, I didn't have to sit there and wait for my next tour or hustle my next tour, and then all of a sudden the band says, I remember bands going, oh, we're not going to tour for six months. And the guy's out of work and the guy's got to go find another. And I now go on, but I can tell you, that's strange. Like it's 2007. I could pretty much tell you what city I'll be in in August in 2008. But <laughs> I'll be on the road and it's, it's still, it's, there's nothing better for me now because it's that balance. I, I have a foundation kind of to go to, but I love that road experience. But so many of my friends are stuck. Hmm. They, they've... You know, um, and it's interesting because I, it, we're, we're dressed a lot. You know, there's a lot of men on the road. There's a lot of females on the road. And it's interesting, you know, I'm just like that adjustment. Be willing to, how are you going to make it when you get off the road? Because the money gets good. If you're good in this business, you can make good money on the road. We'll be back to our interview with Kevin Lyman in a few moments. Right now, we're going to take one of our music breaks where we ask our guests to name two songs that would mean something to them during a specific moment in time or during their day or what have you. For this first break, I asked Kevin to name two songs that, no matter how old he would get, upon hearing these two songs, it would they would take him back to his youth, where he'd be driving on the freeways from his home out in Claremont uh, into L.A. for a night of uh, hanging out with friends and punk rock concerts. Kevin's two choices were the aptly named Los Angeles is Burning by Bad Religion and the classic Institutionalized by Suicidal Tendencies. Never look behind the 
because I try to do things and it just doesn't work out the way I want it to. And I get real frustrated. They're like, I try hard to do it and I like take my time, but it just doesn't work out the way I want it to. It's like I concentrate on real hard, but it just doesn't work out. And everything I do and everything I try, it never turns out. It's like I need time to figure these things out. There's always someone there going, hey Mike, you know, we've been noticing you've been having a lot of problems lately, you know? Maybe get away. And like, maybe you should talk about it, you'll feel a lot better. And I go, no, it's okay, you know? I'll figure it out. Just leave me alone, I'll figure it out, you know? I'm just working on it myself. They go, well, you know, if you want to talk about it, I'll be here, you know? And you'll probably feel a lot better if you talk about it. So why don't you talk about it? I go, no, I don't want to, I'm okay. I'll figure it out myself. And they just keep bugging me. They just keep bugging me, they feel them inside. It's got me, it's too slow, so come and bring one place that you will now make it safe. I'm afraid what you can see away. I'm not crazy, here's the design. You're the one who's crazy, here's the design. You're driving me crazy, here's the design. They take me in and it's too slow, they want the only solution to give me need to profess love to take me from the enemy myself. I was in my room, and I was just like staring at the wall, thinking about everything. And then again, yeah, I was thinking about nothing. And then my mom came in, and I didn't even know she was there. She called my name, and I didn't hear her. And then she started screaming, Mike, Mike. And I go, what? What's the matter? She goes, what's the matter with you? I go, there's nothing wrong, Mom. She goes, don't tell me that. You're on drugs. I go, no, Mom, I'm not on drugs. I'm okay. I'm just thinking, you know? Why don't you give me a Pepsi? She goes, no, you're on drugs. I go, Mom, I'm okay. I'm just thinking. She goes, no, you're not thinking, you're on drugs. Normal people don't act that way. I go, mom, just give me a Pepsi, please. All I want is a Pepsi. And she wouldn't give it to me. All I wanted was a Pepsi. Just one Pepsi. And she wouldn't give it to me. Just a Pepsi. She went through it with a sneeze. Got to back to see a sneeze. Got me up, just lazy. It's the word to help me, right? I'm not crazy. Here's the decision. You're the one that's crazy. Here's the decision. You're trying to be crazy. Here's the decision. They stick me in and it's true. You said it was the only solution. You didn't need it from that stuff. You said it from the enemy myself. I was sitting in my room. My mom and my dad came in. They pulled up the chair and they sat down. They go, Mike, we need to talk to you. And I go, okay, what's the matter? They go, me and your mom, we've noticed lately you've been having a lot of problems. And you've been going off for no reason. And we're afraid you're going to hurt somebody. And we're afraid you're going to hurt yourself. So we decided that it would be in your best interest if we put you somewhere where you can get the help that you need. And I go, wait, what are you talking about? We decided my best interest? How do you know what my best interest is? How can you say what my best interest is? What are you trying to say? I'm crazy. When I went to your school, I went to your churches, I went to your institutional learning facilities. So how can you say I'm crazy? Say to go to the for crazy, leave your suffering at my face. By the time they pick my head, better leave me, I'll be dead. I'm not crazy, here's the design You're the one that's crazy, here's the design You got me crazy, here's the design They take me in and it's just to tell you what The only solution to give me the professor I'm just taking from the enemy myself wondered if uh, the, after the 92 Lollapalooza, because you, you, you made the statement, uh, you said it became a big business, the tour was no longer in creative hands, um, everything became about the bottom line. 
And it was right. It was uh, just a couple years after that that you got the um, at the at the uh, uh, board aid in 1995 yeah. that the uh, watching pornos for pyros is when the idea came to your head for Warped Tour. Yeah. Um, but about going back to about the everything about being about the bottom line was was it that was it that uh, particular uh, tour. Uh, and the change in the tour that started the foundation for like the philosophy behind how you were going to run Warp Tour in the end. Mm, I don't know. It was yeah. I, I, well, I go, did that come I from go the back punk through history. history? I think it's always interesting. It, it, I learned a lot from Lollapalooza, and it was like why I I don't write that schedule. The schedule and it rotates every day. Um, oh, you mean the the bands? The bands and, rotate because yeah. I used to see Henry Rollins every day in the afternoon at nine at, on ninety one, and he would be out there giving his like heart and soul to a bunch of empty seats in an amphitheater and there'd be kids up in the lawn. Um, so I, I guess I pull things from that and it's grown into other things. I mean, now we've got it like our sponsors love that we don't write the scale because all the kids are all there and they get to see what they're doing. Um, right. So I didn't plan on it that way. Um, Lollapalooza, yeah, it's, it was interesting because it was, I mean, 92 was just, you know, you're there, they're seeing, you know, when Eddie Vedder, Pearl Jam was just absolutely setting the world on fire. Mm-hmm. Uh, just there was no like that was like it was always amazing when we were talking last night like Jesus and Mary Chains reforming to do Coachella and I and they were an interesting group and I didn't it was weird I wasn't jiving with them on the road they weren't jiving with anyone on the road but it was just that that 40 minutes when Pearl Jam would play that's was the, the you never see such extreme like passion of music and fans um, and I learned yeah the, the foundation was but I really wasn't thinking about doing my own thing um I probably would have could have stuck with Lollapalooza, but mm. it got when they gave it to an accountant because I would come in with my crazy ideas, and everyone knows like you know what I do on Warped where I've shot cannon, human cannonballs, right, and things right. like that. And then all of a sudden, you had an accountant saying that doesn't. Why would you do that? Doesn't sell tickets. Why wouldn't you? And I go, that's what this tour was about. There was this bridge of you know, and I think that's where we're at. What I what I learned from that is and and is. We, we have, it's big business. I mean, the Warp Tour, you know, is you never thought you'd have projects that, I mean, running in the tens of millions of dollars to do each year. But we're not driven by the bottom line. I mean, it's, I have to make business decisions. I have to be smart. I'm trying to figure out financially how to keep this ticket price affordable all the time. But as long as, I mean, I, I don't think we're driven. I'm not driven. I mean, it's nice. I can pay my bills. I make a nice living now. But I'm not driven by that bottom line. And I think that's where I really learned from Lollapalooza. Yeah, you talk about the, the Salt Lake City gig, about the the Mohawk kid that came yeah, up to you and said, "How much is it to climb the the? How much is it to uh, go up the climbing wall?" And it, it, you say that that kind of gave you the idea that it's like, well, it's free. Yeah, I mean that's you know that sticks with me totally. Can visualize that kid. I don't wonder where he is these days. <laughs> um, he's Maybe not, he's an he's, accountant. He's, yeah, he's probably <laughs> here. But when he ran up and asked that and. And that was where I thought society, everything, there was a price tag on everything. Um, and we tried to do it with the tour. And there's, you know, you come in and someone the other day was just telling me, well, how great it was that last summer, the thing that stuck in their head was the Ramones memorabilia. That they got to see Ramones and and they, we didn't advertise that, it was just there. And that's what stuck in their head on last year's tour. Mm. And that's what we tried to leave them with something that, Everyone might be coming to see No Effects, or everyone might be coming to see Good Shark. You know, that's how it's been through, they, because they've heard about them. But that's my whole thing. Give them something beyond that. And usually they'll walk away 
going, wow, I saw this or that. The human cannonball was amazing. The minute I tried the human cannonball, I had no idea. I thought we almost killed the human cannonball the first day because we <laughs> shot him over the top of the stages. And he, you know, he was so eager to impress that we almost killed him. And uh, it was kind of, but then all of a sudden I just saw that the, the rise in the, the audience in that mid-afternoon just go with Dickie Barrett and the human cannonball. And it was just like, wow, okay, keep going. And that's where I'm pushing myself now. I mean, I'm sending, you know, Sarah stuff yesterday and on extreme pogo sticking. These guys are going like 20 feet in the air. I'm like, track, we got to track these guys down. Just because I, I think how rad would that be? Like some guy going flying through the crowd just and it's because kids would go like, wow, what was that? But, you know, they won't let that pogo through security. Yeah, exactly. Know, some kid brings their own pogo. Um, you, you know, I... It's it's uh, just from a little antidote, um, and I know a lot of people don't know this, but the original name that you came up with for the Warped Tour was called the Bomb, but you had yeah. to change it because uh, Oklahoma Oklahoma City bombing. Which it's was timing. Like, it's everything is a matter of timing. <laughs> the day we were going to announce this tour, and I mean there was a yeah, term right. in '95. The day you were going to do it, right? The day we were going to. I couldn't afford back then. You couldn't just go online and check and see if there was a brand or something with that name. You know, now you can look a lot quicker. Name searches were three, four hundred dollars, and I didn't have that money. And I'd already done like four name searches and didn't can, couldn't use the name. And then all of a sudden, like the bomb, oh, the bomb, that's the bomb. Yeah, well, that first year, the bomb, it would have been the bomb because the tour bombed the first year <laughs> and the Oklahoma City bombing. So I think it would have been the bomb and the bomb and might have not have seen that ever again. Um, I mean, it goes on to like, you know, the, the title sponsorship mm. where it became the Vans Warp Tour. I mean... We were pretty broke. I was really broke. I was back working in the clubs. The day after Warp Tour ended, I was back working in the clubs. That was the first one with L7. And yeah, all that. yeah. Great yeah. show. Amazing show. When you look at it, No Doubt and L7. Sublime. Amazing. Were like 25 cities on that? Yeah, we did 25 cities and it was 15 bucks. and $15. Probably cost me about 18 bucks a day to get around the country. So I was losing <laughs> three bucks on you know, every ticket that was coming through the door. But, you know, and then that next year was, I was, I was pretty desperate i had been told that this tour well you know that you know it, it but i think the people saw it and i had 12 years of foundation i knew by taking care of other people that was the biggest mm. thing this day and age it would have never got another chance without that pandit and that foundation people said let's give kevin another chance this was cool we can't market it this way even the promoters are we can't market it like Lollapalooza. we can't do this they didn't know what it was but they saw something they gave me a second chance Mm. Um, the second chance also came was my, you know, in this timing, my, my ex-partner at that point and, um, a guy that I'm still good friends with, they flew to, they'd convinced me that Calvin Klein would be like the greatest. Oh, that's right. Yeah. 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 yeah the greatest the title CK spot. tour. Calvin, yeah. the CK tour. Um, and I, I, you know, I was trying to get this out. I had convinced no effects to come with us and bad re or and Pennywise the second year. And, um, uh, so I had cool bands, like credible bands. And they flew, and I, I wish I had this. I, it would be cool with this rock. I wish I had this for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame opening. But it was a hand-drawn skateboard ramp with CK on it <laughs> to show them how their logo would look on the, on the skateboard ramp. And if, and if you scratched it, would it smell? Yeah, I, but they flew. <laughs> but they, my, they flew, and we were out of, like, they flew. And these two guys, like, I was out of money, and I was financing, and they flew, and they stayed, like, in a $300 hotel and, and all this. They flew there, and they got caught in that blizzard of 1996. Oh, okay, yeah, the yeah. The giant blizzard. Yeah. And that was the day of the meeting, and it's timing. I had a 15-minute, I got a meeting at Vans, like, can you come down tomorrow? And I went down there, and I was being interviewed, I think, to go to work for them to help them with their amateur skate contest. And I, I said, 
and it's also being quick. You got to think quick. And I, I, that's what, like, you got you to gotta live with your bullshit sometimes. And it's like, I was like, we can make this. Like, and I, I had 15 minutes to convince the CEO of, of Vans that no one's going to go see his amateur skate contest unless he has music because I had done board aid and those events. Sure. And Warp Tours, I have music. And we'll put a skate. And we had already done skating that first year. Let's do your amateur contest at all my events. And I'm, yeah, I can do them in Europe. I'd never been to Europe. I couldn't afford to go to you. I can put your contest so on. So you were hustling world. again. You were back I was to hustling. hustling. It was a little bit of a hustle. And I ended up going to Europe the next year, that year and figuring out how to do skateboard contests in the middle of the plazas. We did them in Germany and the police had come and tried to shut us down. I'd say the guy in the Mercedes that just drove away was in charge. And I looked at this guy <laughs> with a backpack and we'd have the bands playing and, and I totally, you know, and we got away with it. So it, it is lit, but you have to be able to back up your bullshit. And that's what I tell people. If you're going to do it, you better be able to back it up because you're only going to get one chance at it. And, uh, and that was timing because because if we ever had, that we wouldn't be sitting here talking if Calvin Klein became probably this title sponsor of this tour. It's interesting because you say the way we grew up in the punk rock world was fuck corporate America. You know, mm -hmm. the SST shirts, you know, fuck corporate rock. Yeah. And I considered that attitude and said, um, no, use it. Take some of the dollars and have a good time with it, which is... <laughs> You know, it's it's like, and you're, you're, that is like, you know, when you talk to people that, that either the bands that go out on the Warped Tour or people that uh, in the music industry, they say that, you know, you're, you're, you're doing the right thing because you're breaking bands and you're getting all this corporate money to come in because they just want to be part of all that new stuff. I mean, some of these people, they don't have no idea what they're doing. They're just like, oh, this is hot. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, that that would that was what that didn't really. It was always great with the CEO of Vans when I'd say, "Yeah, I just took his money to have a good time," and I'd say that. And he goes, "I really don't like when you like, God, can you put it some other way?" But ultimately, that's what it was started out to do. Um, to this point now, it's it's grown. I didn't go to school for marketing, and I've learned how to be creative. Yeah, you, you graduated in recreational. Yeah, recreational administration. That means I got. I mean, to that's hang a very California degree. Hanging at the pool, there was a big pool, and I get a suntan. I was tan all year, and then I go skiing the rest of the time, and get credit for skiing and being on the ski team. Um, it was a creative major. It was really good, um, but I used school, and I encourage people to go to school. Use that time because I was probably. It was great socialization for me. And it was great because I'm turning it, this people, I wasn't a great, I'd sleep through class because I'd work at the bagel factory all night. And, uh, but I got very involved and I learned a lot and I used that point to kind of like, as a, as, a, as a turning point in my life. And I tell kids, but don't waste your time when you're in school. I didn't really waste my time. I was doing concerts, I was doing these things. And I didn't know I was going into this business. So when you're saying don't waste your time, it's like just don't go to school and that's it. Yeah, I, I always say, like, if you're going to do this crappy job while you're in school, try to put as much time, if you love music, into something music-oriented. Mm. You know, do something... Outside of the gap job. Outside of the gap job or, or things. Try to, try to do something that's going to... Because this is the, usually the time you can kind of afford. It's okay to be broke in school. It's all right to be calling your mom for money if you, could, if you have that option. Um, I had two to three jobs all the way through college. So... Um, yeah, it's 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 an interesting thing, and I'm totally off track right now. What's your question? No, no, is. no. We were talking about sponsorships and, yeah. and, and just you know being able to. <laughs> I'm just kind of wondering, like, it was uh, if, was there been a, like a um, a sponsor? I mean, Calvin Klein may be a good example, but if there's been other people over the past uh, you know five or so years as the tour has grown and larger and larger, uh, where you've had sponsors, potential sponsors, and I don't want you to have to burn any bridges, but where you've turned them down, you just said, we've turned people you down. Know, like you just don't get it. We've turned down quite a few people. You know, they want to put some huge monstrosity in the middle of the of the of the tour site that promotes their yeah, thing. Yeah, we've turned down a lot of people. 
Um, I mean, it's really great. I think it, you know, it's 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 been great now that you know. But I was also smart when when people like you know in the past couple of years, like when Sarah came over to the company, and it was like she comes from more of a, a, a marketing background. She mm -hmm. comes from that world, Sarah Root. Yeah, Sarah Root, and she was able to bridge that with me. So like some of the business, because she would sit, I have creative ideas, but it's kind of how to bridge that and make, because it's grown. The whole concept of tour sponsorships, uh, we were probably in 95, some of the first people doing it on our level. The Rolling Stones did a, a couple deals, but there wasn't, but now every band in a van is looking for their tour sponsorship. Mm -hmm. So we've had to become much more sophisticated in the way we work with people, but we've also turned down people, even in the last couple of weeks we've talked. Um, I mean, one of the things I couldn't, I used to think that I, the military, was very interesting. They were, I used to think they were a great op an oh, that's option. Right. Oh, that's right. I used to think they were an option. We're talking about this. Okay. I used to think the military was an, an option. And just like the Hard Christians, you'll see Hard Christians on the Warp Tour. They cruise around. They've been driving around. But it's funny to watch me watch these young Hare Krishna kids that were probably gutter punks sitting in the they were. That's where they seem to, to, they kind of gravitate um, sometimes to this. But it's like a fan. I always look at the Hare Krishna. They at least give someone a family and something to eat and they make them feel good maybe it's not for me it's not for most of the society mm -hmm. uh, but those kids and now for me 13 years later some of those people are lawyers they're doing someone something happened that changed their lives and maybe it was the hard christmas military i always thought the military was like a great option i'm surprised that you didn't get a lot of resistance to that from the kids in the i mean obviously some of the uh, but some of the punk rockers on the tour yeah. the actual musicians uh well, you know. there were there was some resistance to that um but the military used to be part of our tour and i used to think that it was a great option for kids like you can get an education and get this. But the day that they tried to use video games, they came to, and they wanted to use a video game and show kids that, th that this is the military. Where I'm like, no, you, can, you should show, you can go to college, you can go to this, but show a dead body now. Like if you showed the pictures of a casket coming home, you could go on to college, you can go on to things, you can get all this, but you may die. Be honest with people. The day they wanted to do a video game, and I looked at the video game, I go, God, this looks fun, like war, woohoo, video games. But our society has turned into a video game society. I just said, no more, I can't have the military out recruiting because they're not being honest. Hmm. Um, sometimes kids, they're military still, but they'll back in, they'll back in through the promoters. Uh, okay. Right. They'll sometimes be on, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of resistant to that, but they'll show up, but it's kind of like now they're at like the whim of whatever, because I used to kind of like say we have to, you know, it was like PETA and spam. That was a good combination on the Warp Tour one time. You had PETA <laughs> out there and you had spam truck. And it was like, well, there's contrast there. But I'm also like, that's what the tour is about. That's what this tour, it's like a, a sounding board. And then you had the PETA people. And I'm like, you do your thing, kids will choose. Because the PETA people were protesting with signs around the spam truck. And I'm like, leave them. Like, kids will decide. They can come over to PETA or they can eat a spam sandwich. You know, it's <laughs> all right. Um, let's talk a little bit about... Um the changes in the Warped Tour, because if you really go back and take a look at the rosters of the bands that have been on the Warped Tour over the past 12 years, now 11 years, um, the ones that have happened, the, uh, um, the, there's, some, there's been times, like even when the new Metal craze was going on, you've had Eminem on there. I mean, it's just like, um, it's, uh, it's really, it's, it's, some people would sit there and go, why was that band on that tour? Yeah, Black Eyed Peas, Jurassic Five. Um, I think what it was is, 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 the foundation. I think you've seen these tours come and go. You've seen different things. That's other things I learned from them. They lose focus. Hmm. Um, there was like you had the swing stuff on there at one yeah, time. Yeah, Royal Crown Review. We're sounding. It? The essence yeah. of this tour is still basic. It's fun reading this message boards. This tour is not punk. 
you know, what's right. punk and punk all day long. Yeah. You know, I, I read this message. You put one band up there thinking it's going to be great this year. This year is an amazing year because it's like totally like the, half the kids love the band, half the kids hate the band. But but we've been kind of the essence. And I, and I realized when we started this tour, I, I worked through that. The year that we had Blink and I led with Blink and Eminem was the year I had death threats. I, I didn't know the internet very well and it was really not the porno sites I subscribed to but the kids were subscribing me to them and putting them on my it was crazy <laughs> these kids were really super passionate like you suck you, we hate you you've destroyed everything you know the, the, so I realized how passionate kids are so the Warp Tour still leads I think there's always that roots and essence of punk like this summer you're going to see Pennywise back out and Bad Religion Tiger there's, there's those bands that have been around and they're the history of this music the past couple of years we even went a little farther in history with you know Joan Jett Billy Idol. Um, that was nice to see them want to be part of this tour because they weren't really people that I knew. Um, and we, but we're kind of like, we flow with the times. I mean, one year, you know, when the emo, screamo, post-hardcore, uh, you have so many types of music. And this year, I think it's going to reflect, I'm really looking at it as, there is no scene right now. Yeah, I was just going to ask you, where do you, th where do you, like if someone was asking you, like where is the music scene going right now? I think it's all over. I think kids are looking for it's, it's, so this year, you're going to see a little hip-hop with chaos, P.O.S. You're going to see ska, you know, Big D in the kids' table, the toasters out mm -hmm. there, the fabulous Rudy's, which are barbecue band. You're going to see punk out there. You're going to still see divert, you know, all the little incarnations of what's going on because I think a lot there's so many bands right now. We're starting to see which ones will continue on and have a career. Um, so we're, you're going to see, you know, it's nice to see Alkaline Trio coming back and playing shows with us. Uh, and then I mean, the future of the music. I think, you know, the future is female a lot right now. I think there's a lot of great female artists out there with, you know, Haley from, with Paramore. Um, I think they're going to, you know, they're playing with us tonight. And I just believe so much in that band, uh, I, Megan Dia. I think so. Music's gonna be all over. This summer is gonna be very. It's like a, almost like a sh like a shotgun of like these fifteen thousand bands. Um, we're gonna have less bands out there this summer, and I'm realizing we had. You know, I need to get quality back. Like the Warp Tour got to this point where there's so many bands. I'm letting everyone play. Kids bringing in stages and they're setting up and walking around. You know, I saw forty to fifty percent of the bands were quality bands. Um, and that's what I want to do is keep the quality up of, of the tour now and, and really, really thinking through who's going to be playing this summer. Uh, and, and then the kids will start, I think you're going to start seeing kids start gravitating. And that's what this summer is going to be about. Just come check out everything going on in music and just maybe you'll find your scene. We'll be heading right back into our final portion of our interview with Kevin Lyman, but now we're going to run our second of two music breaks. For this segment, I asked Kevin to name two songs that he would listen to while out on the Warp Tour. Kind of like well, about the time he was waking up in the morning, everybody's kind of groggy, and he's trying to get psyched up for yet another day of punk rock fun and mayhem. So Kevin's two choices here were the Bouncing Souls' Lean on Sheena and ACDC by Joan Jett. Did you intimidate her? Her mother says you wouldn't let her use the phone. Were you intoxicated? Past the point of knowing what was going on. Better yet, don't forget, leave the keys on the TV set Hoping you're gone from the corner bar Here we are at the dark, knocking back the maker's mark Scratching up the dollars from my buddy's car And lean on she. 
Nina, she leans on me a lot. Hold on, hold on, hold on to what you've got. Intimidator, how'd you make her feel worse than she did before? And I heard you came back later, had the upstairs neighbors banging on the floor. Better yet, don't forget, leave the keys on the TV set Open your gun from the corner bar Here we are at the dark, knocking back the maker's mark Scratching up the dollars from my buddy's car And lean on Sheena, she leans on me a lot Hold on, hold on, hold on to what you got Hold on to what you got
We could do two hours just on this next question, yeah. but I'm sure you've got some feelings right off the bat that, uh, and that is, you know, again, what is the state of the concert industry? Um, it, what, what is, where is its future going well, we're, at we're, this point? We're in it. Yeah, we could talk a long time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, I'll, I'll try to, but it, it's, what it was, was it's, it's changing because bands cannot make money on records, CD sales. All we read is they're down, they're down. Um, so bands, I don't don't think we'll be making... So they've looked at touring. It used to be like, you would put out records, you would hopefully make some money, your, your, you'd recoup, you'd start making some money, um, you could see money from CD sales. Now, you see money from CD sales if you have a box of them in your van and you're selling them at your shows. Um, so right now, I think we've got so many bands trying to tour. When I started the van, the tour, the Warp Tour, I was trying to think back. There was probably 50 actual touring bands. Like GBH would come over from the UK and or Sublime would go tour these bands and they would tour with one other band. They'd bring a, a band with them and then there would be always a local scene. And you'd have two to three local openers. It's harder and harder to become that local opener. So everyone's touring, everyone's touring. Um, I went out the other night in L.A., and there was eight bands at the Knitting Factory, four on one stage, four on the other stage. Six of them were submitting to the, to the, to the Warp Tour. I, and I just want to go see some music. So I thought this was a great place because I'm not out every night like I used to be in the clubs and see these bands. I want to go see these bands. And there was 161 people there in arguably possibly the biggest market other than New to go see bands. And I'm going, wow, but these bands are touring, touring, and they're all touring too much now. Uh, they never get off the road. Um, you seem to open an LA Weekly or something, and these like you're constantly. So I think we're going to have a flushing out of. It's going to be sad, but a, that's why I'm saying let's stress. And I'm working with equipment manufacturers because they're actually the guys who ignored us forever, and now they're like the guys who are actually making money in the business because everyone's buying drums. You got fifteen thousand drum kits you're selling to this scene and right. everything else. That I'm saying let's teach it how to be fun again. There's got to be better local scenes, and bands have to be happier with a local scene. They're going to be printing their records, selling them right on site because you will have, still have that fan connection that wants a, a tangible thing. Um, but we're, we've got to, it's sad, but there's going to have to be less bands touring. But how do you create a local scene when so much of the consolidation within the concert industry is, is you know, and because of the competition, it's forced a lot of promoters out. Yeah, the consolidation. Um, but out of that consolidation, there'll be young kids. Because with this consolidation... As in the underground will reinvent itself? Yeah, yeah, yes, it's going to reinvent itself. Okay. There's going to be an underground... So there is hope. There's absolutely hope. I think this is a great time, um, but it's going to be how do you create that hope? I think the hope's going to be out of kids out of their garages. Hmm. How to, they're going to get their discs printed. They're going to do their T-shirts out of their garages. Not everyone's going to want to think in six months they need to be on the cover of your magazine. That's what I get all the time. They, you know, they, it's going to be like, be your local scene. Go play music for fun and drive out on weekends and play parties and, and shows, it's going to reinvent itself because these promoters can't deal with it. It's sad. They're, just like every, the consolidation of everything, their workload's gotten 10 times heavier. It was funny. I called our promoters, who I think are great in Canada the other day, and said, hey, ticket sales for this year's Taste of Chaos in Canada are down on this date 
versus last year. Mm. U.S. were up. What can we do? And these are the guys. Last year, we had a great tour in Canada. And they're like so big. I'm calling them. And they're so, their workload, because so many bands are touring Canada now. Mm. They, and he didn't even realize. He's like, we're cool. Everything's great. Or I really don't even know. And these are guys, that, like, because they're now forced to go out. These guys are out on the road covering tours. They're not home marketing and doing promoting. So everyone's workload is heavier and heavier. I mean, everyone's working twice as hard to stay in the same spot. And the quicker that the major labels go out of business, the better. Now, okay. I do want to talk about your record company. Because with... Yeah, we're the, going out of business now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, here's the point. I mean, it's like, you know, V2 on Artemis just got shut down. And, 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 yeah. and today was announced the capital was all consolidated yeah. and wiped out. So why would you want to start a record company in this day and age with all that happening and then so much of the, of the, of the public <laughs> wanting music... For free and more or less expecting this kind of, let me sample it first culture. Yeah, I think it's, it's because the major labels ignored downloading. So we built a whole culture of st stealing music. We absolutely did. I used to, Roy Lott back at Capitol when I was managing Less Than Jake, I'd go in there and say, look, the, this is awesome. The internet, let's, let's give a couple songs away. Let's do this way. We don't do this. We don't. So they ignored the future. And they're paying for it right now. Well, I mean, look what, what's happening with digital rights management. It's just collapsing in on itself. Yeah, so yeah. It, it's, it was totally wrong. So we built a bunch of kids that were used to just going and getting it for free. I think it's changing. I think we've lost a, like a, a mid-generation. Okay. Let's say 18, 19, 19 to 30-year-olds were used to just going into Kazaa and you know, Napster and just getting the music for free. But I'm seeing a change now with, um, with iTunes. And with, I'm seeing my daughter, she's 11. She doesn't go steal music. She gets her iTunes card. I, it's because it was done in a way that there's a value to music again. So I think people are starting, there's a younger generation. That's our hope. Like the young kids, that they're like putting value back on the music. Um, now the, it's funny to see them like the resale market at the schools where the kid buys it for the dollar and then is figuring out ways. The kids are figuring out how to sell it to a quarter to all their friends at school. Um, so there's like an eternal thing. Uh, but, but at least Who they're putting capitalism. At least there's dead. some initial. There's the American dream. At least for some you. initial value to music. And I think there's, there is a generation. And also it's interesting seeing an older generation that's learning about iTunes and things and and things and they're buying music. They're willing to buy it again. We lost someone. We lost this gen, this 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 age group that was so used to. They don't have any value to music. But I think we're putting it back on some of this. Do you think that? Um, do you think at some point it's just going to all go digital and the retail environment? No, I, I think it. I think the just, retail environment where my, you're going to release your records just to iTunes yeah, and e-music well, and all that. And that's my it. prediction. It's going to be interesting. I think we'll be down to. I think by Christmas next year, we have one more year before one of the big box retailers say, we're not putting music in our store. We're going to stop carrying it. Really? Yeah. I really believe that they'll probably get through next Christmas and someone's just going to go, this floor space is too valuable for video games, uh, guitar. Maybe they're going to have some kiosks where you can download in the music, but they're, that, sh that floor space becomes valuable because that's what people used to go into stores. They used to sell music at a break-even or loss or just a break-even. They'd like to break it because it would bring you in to buy you know, uh, microwave and right. everything else you're doing. And, right. um, that space now, they're not selling enough music there, so they're going to give it up. But I think what we're going to see is we're going to see one label. That's what I, I think. Eventually, it's going to be. The publishers would like all the major labels to get out of because the publishers want to control the music. 
publishers because it'll be digital. They won't need all this stuff. You'll put it out there. They don't need, there's, why do you have a publisher and you have a record label now? So, you know, the, you see the consolidation of capital. I think it'll be one label. My prediction will probably be the universe. Somewhere, the universe will end up owning everything. They'll own the 50 Mariah Careys of the world. They'll own the American Idol series that will actually produce very few hard discs on a mass quantity to go into the Targets, the Walmarts. They'll produce, there'll be very few releases in there. Um, publishers will control the music, but there'll be some avenue, and this is where it's going to get reinvented, for that band that, because there's still going to be the people that wants a tangible product. Um, bands have to get in the mindset that uh, the new gold is 50,000. How right. do you, you know, it's not 500,000, it's 50,000. You sell 50,000 records, you're successful. So how is it going to be? Because you're going to sell them at shows. You're going to sell a mail order. You're going to sell those hard. So there's going to be some way to get those records. And you're going to have to prove that you can sell 50,000 to convince this one that you need to go into the big box retail or you're going to get any distribution. So it's going to be kind of a, a it's going to change, but it's going to be these kids that are going to, you know, going to be some way to still get those products and deliver them, but it's not going to be expecting them to be in stores. Do you think that there, there, there'll be a, uh, a, reformulation of the uh, the payment, the royalty payment to artists as, at some point in the near future f because they're, get, they're still getting, for the digital version they're versus getting, yeah, the... getting so little. The, the hard one, you know what I mean? Yeah, there, there will be, but you've got to get rid of... I mean, it's Because sad. there I'm, is a battle with that. I mean, I, I have, I'm torn, but you've got to get rid of these inflated salaries of the major label guys. I'm sorry. You know, their time's gone making millions of dollars a year. There's going to be, a, I think all A&R people or whatever should be a base salary, but they get paid on success because they would have taken less lunches. Can we do that with Congress? Yeah, <laughs> that's, I mean, it's, it's just, it's, you're going to have to be, so it's, it's, it's sad because it, it's going to happen. I mean, and we said, like you said yesterday, it's going to happen. But now that the pyramid's gone, when you see 60,000 discs the last three weeks being the top selling disc product out there. You can't afford those. I mean, guys can't afford have their house in LA and Jersey and can't work hard anymore. And those guys are gone. And all they're doing is shuffling releases. They're doing every, everything's being shuffled to hit their their quarterly payments because they're 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 getting their quarterly statement. And if they're still selling enough, right? There's enough on the books. They still have a job. The day they miss them, they've they've gotten rid of all the young talent in the labels. Everyone's like I said, is working twice as hard to stay in the same spot. Um, you can't shred those companies any farther you can't rip the guts out of them any farther so this guy's still making his money that's all it is right now there's some there's 20 30 executives in this business that are just trying to hit their numbers each quarter so they still have a job they know it's over and the day that they don't hit it they're gone i mean so let's i have just a couple more questions and then we'll wrap this okay. up and and uh I, it, this i want to talk about managers because in the number of years you've been in this business, you've worked with every level of manager. Wow. Every level. From the, you know, from the side stage punk rock bands on the Warped Tour, like the brand new managers, all the way up to the biggest bands out there and their, their mega managers. And I'm just curious, what mistakes, common mistakes, um, uh, do you think the three levels of managers make typically? And let's just start briefly with each. Um, we'll just do briefly. Um, the first one is that beginning manager, you know, like the friend of the lead singer that they brought in. He's like, he has some accounting experience or business experience or whatever. And he's like the brand new guy and he wants, like he just got his band on Warped Tour for the first time. What's like the common mistakes that that level manager makes? Not getting the business side of the band together. Okay. Um, really realizing that if you order t-shirts, you got to pay for those at some point. 
Um, beginning manager should be in school, have some other support system because you can't expect to make money from that band. Uh, really, you, you've got to do it because you still love music. You want to be part of it. So figure out how you're going to make a living <laughs> some other way. Um, I think the beginning manager uh, almost has, don't go on the road with your band. Really? So many times, yeah. Do not be on the road with your band. Because usually they feel like they have to babysit. Yeah, they're on the road. But you can't do business from there. I can do business now on the road, but I have a big support system of 20, 30 people that make me stay focused to keep my <laughs> get whatever I have to do done each day. But so many young managers. I've got my, my boy, Mike Kaminsky, who's a great kid. And right now I'm starting to grind on because he's driving around with Megan Dia on the road. And I'm like, you're not going to be, you cannot be the manager on the road. And I used to see that going way back. You know, I saw the collapse of Porno for Pyros because the manager was always traveling with a band because he liked to surf and he was living off the band oh, instead of being home setting up the record. You need to be able to, you know, I, that was my, 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 when I managed the band said, you never come out and hang out with us. I go, yeah, but you know, if I'm coming out and hanging out with you, I'm having a Corona at noon and that's not helping your career go forward. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's 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 true. Okay, you know, if okay. I'm, I'm not, you know, so you need to be you need to be focused and you need to have some like stay with the young young manager. But then also be willing to go and for those key things and go meet people. I mean, the young managers that I think are starting to do good are guys who make an attempt. And because I'm still a very accessible person, like call me and say, "Hey, I want to come by your office." So network. Network. You've got to try to build that network and support system. Okay, so now let's go to the let's go to the next level, which is the manager that their band has just starting to break. Let's say it's like Fall Out Boy two years ago, right. and they they're as I think as I think you see it said one point they're 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 trying to find ways to grow their balls, and it's just <laughs> like it's like what what kind of mistakes you see the managers at that point where the band like maybe they just got on MTV for the first time and the and you know the buzz is there they're selling a couple records they're like build okay. a world career. Build a world career. So many of them make a mistake and don't get their bands overseas. Don't take opportunities to, because we're such always been such a hit-driven society in this in the U.S. Mm -hmm. It's everything's driven by the hit. Get your band overseas. Build the fan base. So when things don't aren't good in one territory, they might be good in another territory. Get your bands overseas. First chance you can to build your band. Get them in other places. So when things aren't good in one territory, I think it's great to see, like, like right now, you know, you could say story of the year. Had super huge success in the U.S. The record comes out. Everything's based on their first week record sales. Everyone gives up on the band in the States. They still have a core fan base here. Mm -hmm. But we took them overseas on Taste of Chaos. And amazing, like, what happened to them. They went back one time with a tour that we do, because we can tend to get a lot more kids there. They went back six months later, and we're doing 6,000 tickets in Australia. 3,000, get the band. Over. So that band probably will have a career now. Maybe they won't be touring so much in the U.S. Um, and don't pimp your band all the time for your 10% or 15% you're getting from the band. Um, I, I mean, I think it's, it's horrible to see like some of the decisions being made just because, and I know it's because the guy needs to make his, his rent or he's, he's putting the band in bad situation. He's not looking at building this career for 10, 20 years. Um, I don't know if bands want that career. I, I hope they do. And that's what I try to do with like showing, like bringing these bands on work. How, how does Bad Religion and No Effects, bands that who've never really, their records go gold and maybe, I don't know if any of them have a platinum record, but they've gone gone because it's just because of their career made them sell that. It's not that big success. It's, 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 it's hard. And 
And it is, you know, growing balls, you know, but don't grow them with me all the time. <laughs> That's usually what happens. Okay, and then finally those managers where, and I'm not using the managers for these bands speci- specifically, I'm just trying to use the bands as a reference point, like the Green Days, the My Chemical Romances, the, the, the Fall Out Boys, the bands that have, they've hit, they're, they get the red carpet treatments, they're, they're out there. What are the mistakes that you usually see with that level of managers? Calling in the lawyers. <laughs> you know that that they don't think that this business that they think they're beyond relationships that they're bigger than anything um i i've been seeing that it's 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 kind of like this bill we supported each other i mean and then we can sit and talk and back in ap and and mm-hmm. what you did with me and the tours we've been it's it's they think they're beyond relationships um I don't see mistake. I think you know Green Day, amazing. Like you know, I mm-hmm. worked with them early on. I was well, helped them with their first tour na- on a big level when they went out. Um, and I think that that's what happens. Is and I, I don't the the mistakes once you're you're and the big managers is usually they think they're bigger than their bands. Sometimes the managers. Um, it's Green Day. Good moves, you know. Taking a little, they took a step back. Like the band needs to take a step back once in a while to move forward all the time. Hmm. Um, that's what I always take. Take a step back to move forward. Um, great with like the used. I mean, Bert, smart guy, you know, really is. You know, just like when he gotten when we when we did the first Taste of Chaos, it was because my knowledge of putting these things together, but it was also having an artist that's willing to take a step back sometimes to mm. move their whole career forward. And when he was willing to take less money than he could make on his own to bring a kill switch and my chem at that point and, and things, and it was like, wow, this was like really changing, but it was the artist moving his career forward. And I think it, it's being that sense that the manager sometimes thinks you don't have to take that step back once in a while. You know, you hope to see, you know, Mike Kim still willing to come in and be the way that, Gerard, you know, Ger- Gerard is awesome. Like, I love that guy. I mean, just, I saw him in that van and I just, early on when I, you know, they were in a van playing the small stage on Warren when I booked him a year early and timing all came up. But I think he is the future. I think the personality of that band is going to just, and the music is just, they're real. They're like a band that's there and they're, I'm hoping, you know, they're going to be that band. Ten. But I think sometimes even... If you're going to get in that point, that manager, you know, and it was great. Brian, just a few years ago, you know, was a guitar, t- you know, he was a tech. Right. And he worked his way and he's got to start building his system. Mm-hmm. He's got to have good people at home because he still likes to tour with his band a lot. But you better have that system at home to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe you got to be careful. It's how you're in, if whether, whether, how you take, I think the mistakes might be how many other bands you take. Right, right. You have to be, you have to have that system at home that can help you with those other bands. And you still have to be very involved in their careers. Two more questions. One of them is for all the sound people out there and for the people that work behind the scenes of the concerts. Yeah. And especially with as long as you've been booking concerts and you've been doing concerts and producing concerts and, and, and all over the world, do you think current technology is taking something out of the concert experience? They always talk about, oh, we're adding in, we're adding in, but is there something now kind of missing? Yeah. I, well, I always said, like I used to do when it was Lollapalooza, it was amazing. I always said, it always comes down to the sound. But we'd have all these guys that were friends, and I knew them all, and they'd be lighting guys. And in my realm of work, I believe that I always said it was like, as soon as the fans need a mirror ball or a thing to react, my bands, I want live, I want in your face, 
I don't. I think you can accent with production, but you can't overwhelm with production. So like, hi, we're from England. Yeah. Here's our light show. And and and, and <laughs> dumbass sound lighting guy was like used to working with six par cans at a show, and all of a sudden he had like you know f- access to all this production, and it was taking so long to get lights up and stuff that we never barely get the sound up. So that's a reverse. Like get that up there next. So I think you know. Um, I deal with a lot now. It's funny, you know, that that people are. I think the sound guys, you know, getting in the digital world and the the, the digital desks, and it's it's very very. Techni- and then all of a sudden they're starting to ask for these desks, and I can't mix my band without you know an eighty thousand knee board, you know, you know Midas board, you know. I I and I go well, geez, can't you do it on? You should start on the twenty four. You know the old Yamaha twenty four oh six, and and that's how you should be working, and you should still be able to do your band on that. But all of a sudden, it's like you know the production cost and all the production costs. When this guy says he needs this board to make, where does it get passed? It gets passed on to the fan, and ultimately that drives ticket prices up. So you can't become, and that's where the production guys, production guys, all of a sudden think they're bigger than the band. That's the mistakes I see. If you're talking all levels, right? You know, it's the single room, it's the type of hotels, it's the type of tour buses they have to have. Right, right, right. It just gets passed on to the fan. Um, which, which is a bummer. I think that's Rick DeVoe calling me. <laughs> Speaking of managers. <laughs> One more question, and this is actually a sentimental question, because, uh, you know, there's, there's people that kind of go around the, the country and they, they go visit old baseball stadiums. Oh, yeah. You know, to live the old days. You want to, like, oh, this is where this, you know, the Dodgers play. This is wherever. And I'm just wondering, like, for you, are there concert halls or arenas that kind of, like, have that sentimental value I mean, around the country? It's not concert halls, arenas. It's parking lots. I have a lot of sentimental. Everyone goes, oh, yeah. Everyone goes, God, you do all these. I go, really? I skipped because I didn't want to become that arena guy. I don't like routine. Everyone knows that. Um, it drives me crazy. I mean, Taste the Chaos is kind of gets in routine. Now I disappear because I have good people that can do that. Warp Tour, if it gets too routine, I create the chaos. I like creating chaos. I like for me, um, sentimental. I mean, it was cool when I did, like, got the chance to do Carnegie Hall. Hmm. I never with, knew you did Carnegie Hall. Yeah, well, well, that was when I did The Old Brother with T-Bone Burnett. Oh, oh yeah, right, and right, right. And we were trying to showcase that, and we did Ryman Auditorium, and everyone said, oh, yeah, of course it's going to sell in Nashville. So that, that's that whole thing about cutting the limb off. We went and rented, you know, we went and rented Carnegie Hall and put Old Brother in there, a blue, and it sold out instantly. Um, it was kind of cool to walk in that room. Um, I don't have a lot of sentiment. It's, it's funny, like, we were, you know, I don't have a lot of stuff. Like, if I would collected stuff, I'd be probably able to retire on eBay just selling it all at one point. <laughs> but you look around and I don't because I'm always trying to think what I'm going to be doing 10 years down the road, five years down the road. I don't want to look back. It's those guys that get locked in time where they tell me about all the high school stories or I see people and they're talking about because usually you get locked. People, that's the problem with people. They get locked in a certain time frame and that, they look at that as their best time. I was on time. the Nine Inch Nails tour from 1996. And yeah, exactly. that's their best time. Right. Me, I'm thinking my best time is still 10 years down the road somewhere. Now, there's a working philosophy. Yeah, Kevin, thank you so much. No, um, it's great. And, and Thanks, I, it just the amount of stuff that I've I've just learned uh, today, the stuff that I didn't even know about you is uh, uh, it gives me more questions for next time. Yeah, so I'd love to come I, back. I, this I is hope good time. so. I hope so. Thank you so much, and good good luck with Taste of Chaos. Thanks. And best of luck with reinventing Warp Tour again. It's uh, it's always going to be uh, something new when you're walking out. Yeah, that's a strange thing. Everyone goes, "Are you getting?" And I go, "No." For some reason, this year is almost revitalizing me in a lot of ways because there is going to be challenges. <laughs> AP Podcasts are recorded at Lava Room Recording Studio in Cleveland, Ohio, a New York City quality studio at Cleveland Prices. Check out www.lavaroomrecording.com. 
For more information on Alternative Press Magazine, go to www.allpress.com. The podcast engineer is John Walsh. Post-production assistance from Rob Bertenzi. I'm Mike Shea, and this is All My Fault. You can reach me directly at www.myspace.com slash Mike Shea AP. That's S-H-E-A like the stadium, AP.